the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 68. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. Welcome home. Thank you. I feel like, I feel like you've been gone forever. I know it always seems that way, right? <laughs> it does. Uh, it felt like forever. In fact, <laughs> a couple of times I looked at the kids and said, "I think we've been gone for a month." <laughs> yeah. And how long were you gone? Like a week. A week. Okay. <laughs> that's that's about right in mom kid ratio summertime. I think that feels about right. Yeah, just a week. Um, and it was not. It was very lovely. It was rejuvenating. I think I read five books. Oh, uh, and. Wow took a lot of hikes and breathed in a lot of damp forest mountain air Mm. and that was really nice your pictures were pretty they look so lush wherever you were it was very lush in fact it was so lush it was i'm gonna say a word that a lot of people for whatever reason don't like (laughs) but it was very moist (laughs) Like everything, our clothes would get just, it was, there was a lot of humidity. Okay. And so, and nothing would dry, like in the room, nothing would dry. So needless to say, the last, you know, 48 hours I have been uh, doing a lot of smelly laundry. (laughs) Well, I bet your skin was fantastic. I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like all from that kind of weather. I'm not going to say the word. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. I felt like um, I felt like you needed a rest, you know? I kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. It it was really. um, Yeah, it was perfect. It, It was great. It was great. I I really have no complaints. Um, How was your week? Um, um, good. It was good. Yeah. Um, Grady was gone the entire time you were gone. Um, so I was all alone. I did a bunch of, you know, not very exciting things. Just was in the studio a lot and got caught up on a lot of things, but it was weird to not have him here for nine days. Oh, I bet. So, um, you know, the first couple of days, my husband was in Las Vegas. So, um, having both of them gone again, you know, I never get tired of that, Sandra. I got to tell you, I just, you know, just to have the quiet for a couple of days and then I'm ready Mm -hmm. to have them back. But, um, it just felt like, you know, obviously something, someone was missing. Um, Mm. so it was good. No communication, no cell phone. He had no cell phone with him. He left it on his desk, which was the first time ever. Right. And so it felt a little like it might feel when he goes to college or something. Oh my God. Um, I so, can't even. We, well, I, my son and I have never been separated like that. Mm, now Chloe has. She's gone to camp. Yeah. Um, she went to camp last summer and she's going again this summer. So, but yeah, it's a different connection with me and my, my big kids. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. And it was, I, I definitely think like this was a chance for him to have some independence. Um, oh, but it was great. also a, 
it was a the campus for me too in terms of or whatever you want to call the trip it was a backpacking trip um, in Yosemite and um it was for me as well to learn how to have some space from him we've needed it and um he just came home a changed person and I couldn't be more thrilled um it was transformational and really beautiful so I am a happy mom this week great yeah that's great that's good so should we chat about our guest today do a little bio a little intro we yeah. are continuing on with our, let me see if I can say this. <laughs> yes, I practiced yeah. it this morning. Yeah, you say it. <laughs> our Summer Sister, our Sober Sister Summer Series. Mm-hmm. That is such a great title for this <laughs> and yet so hard to say. Um, <laughs> totally. We are continuing on today and we have our friend Nicole Baker on the podcast and I'm going to let you start yeah. her bio. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So Nicole was born and partially raised in a small town in northern New Jersey and raised the rest of the way in Orlando, Florida. And these days she calls Sanford, Florida her home, where she lives in a hundred-year-old fixer-upper with her two kids, their dog, and her husband, who also happens to be her boss. If Nicole actually had a business card, her title would probably be executive assistant. But one stuffy corporate title couldn't possibly convey everything she does to help her husband run his flourishing engineering firm. Their work offers them the opportunity to travel together all over the country and throughout the world. Oh, that sounds so good. Together, that's sweet. Um, In her spare time, Nicole can often be found writing or doodling in her journal or making collages from scrap papers. She also loves to read and listen to lectures and podcasts about such things as nutrition, philosophy, and even quantum mechanics. Lately, she's been practicing mindful meditation and has plans to be a fully enlightened being by her 50th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) She is multi-passionate and creative and loves to draw, paint, sew, and take photographs. And on some rare occasions, if only she is in the mood, Nicole has been known to draw portraits in pencil for family and close friends. Although looking for heart-shaped rocks and seashells are her preferred outdoor activities. Nicole likes riding her bike, walking around in new cities. She also doesn't mind hiking all that much and has a new affection for kayaking. And she makes great Instagram stories about kayaking sometimes. She has a really, uh, really solid intentions of getting into yoga, don't we all? Uh, someday <laughs> yes Nicole may not have a real job and she may get to travel to exotic countries she's never even heard of but her life didn't always look like it does on Instagram um so welcome Nicole good morning ladies hey Nicole I'm so happy to have you thank here thank you I'm so excited so excited and so grateful for the opportunity it really really means a lot to me oh good so well, uh, I think we're just going to jump in and just yeah. um, get going. But I was wondering, like, how if you could share with our listeners maybe how you came to know Sandra and myself and yeah. um, and just kind of how our intersection happened, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it started um, probably the end of 2015. Um, it was about August. I was starting to question, you know, my life and everything. And I found uh, a, a article that Laura McCowan had written and it was uh, on Facebook called 18 things it took her 38 years to learn and I devoured it and it just made or you know 18 things yeah 38 years to learn I just devoured it and it and it resonated with me and I'm like who is this woman I want to know everything and you know uh, I found her then 
then Holly Whitaker, and then and then you, Tammy, and and then through Instagram, I think is how I found Sandra. You know, the whole network. But you, Sandra, um, you know, connected with Tammy. I think that that's how I met you. But um, yeah, it, that home group, um, Facebook home group, and just being right in there at the right time. I think the end of 2015 is kind of when everybody sort of sort of congealed yeah each other. yeah and then nicole you and i were um art exchange partners mm-hmm. the exchange before last exactly yeah that was an honor i was like what i got you know how i got you i, I was just so so blessed and like oh it couldn't have been more perfect and and then you know the rest is history as they say isn't it fantastic oh go ahead it is. No, 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 no. Go ahead. It's so fantastic. Like, I, I know there's social media I talk about, it, like, it gets a bad rap. But mm. this way into sobriety through the safety of our phones initially, at least initially for me, and now it's it fosters it. But it's pretty magical. Yeah. And it was a private way to get into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just on your phone. And it's, you know, you it's just like curiosity in it. And then that builds and builds and builds, you know. And I, like I was, um, you know, I, I followed you on Instagram, Tammy, and your photographs. And it just, it just felt like, you know, a safe place. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, yeah, I think you, you can, Sandra. Yeah. You can stalk and lurk and <clears throat> yeah. reveal as much as you want when you're ready. Yeah. And it, and it just kept me a place to keep coming back to, you know, and that's how it sort of, that's how it sort of grew into what it is now. It just, um, it was just a safe place for me to keep going back to and checking yeah. in and saying, these are women that I've never met that don't even know I exist, but they mean the world to me at that mm. moment I needed someone to hold on to and you guys were there for me Aww. so it's perfect Aww, I love that thanks I for sharing that. that yeah yeah that was um I was I think six months sober in August of 2015 oh, and wow. not quite yeah. sure what the heck what I was doing yeah so. and it felt really new I could I could you know I I sensed that with 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 both of you I think and it was just like yes this is these are people I want to know and these are people that I want in my life and Mm. and so it and so it is it happened (laughs) love it I love it yeah um okay well Nicole can you tell us we we kind of start these off by asking about kind of your drinking story um anything that's relevant to that story that you want to share with our listeners and how you came to sobriety yeah, sure. Um, so my story goes, you know, we always have to start in the, the back story. It doesn't just appear out of, you know, the ether. Um, your drinking doesn't just get bad all of a sudden. It, it takes time. Um, but my story goes back. Um, my father um, was an alcoholic. Um, we, you know, he, from a very, very young age, at, when I was very young, we, you know, he was kind of the party dad. And and always having a good time, you know, he'd let me sip, sip his beers in the garage, you know, we would sit there and watch the rain, you know, I was very young, and he'd just let me take a little sip out of his beer, and, um, you know, things like that, and it had, and it sort of immediately had a connection of feeling good, you know, it always, the alcohol was connected with a good feeling, kind of right from the start, Um, you know, being daddy's little girl, and you know, he was a mechanic. He fixed cars in our garage. My mom was a hairdresser. She had a salon in the basement. And so, you know, I had, you know, from all, for all intent and purposes, the, the perfect, um, family, nuclear family there, but 
there was a lot of darkness as well. The, you know, the alcohol was a big part of it. Um, by the time I um, was in you know, elementary school, my father had a massive heart attack when he was 32 years old. Mm. That sort of you know, changed the trajectory of our, all of our lives. Um, it did quite a bit of damage. You know, I think I was in the third grade. And, um, you know, it was a traumatic experience for all of us, um, you know, as you can imagine. And him being as young as he was and being the kind of party man that he was, it sort of halted, um, you know, his life in that way. And he couldn't, you know, party like he used to, I guess. Um, But he continued and, and it went on and, you know, the doctors didn't give him a very good prognosis and said, you need to quit drinking and you need to quit smoking and doing all the things he was doing you know, and the mass amount of stress. And, you know, and it was, it went on for years. Um, you know, and I remember drinking pina coladas at 10 and 11 years old in our summer vacations, we would go to the Jersey shore and we would rent a big house and it was just a big party atmosphere. Um, and, you know, it sort of started then and, you know, some traumas, uh, we, my, my parents split up, um, and we moved to Florida with my mom and my dad stayed behind and you know we didn't get to see him very often I was very very close to my dad but and my parents were very very close friends throughout all of this they are you know up to the day he died they were very very close and so there was never any arguing or fighting my dad was not a angry drunk he was sort of a happy drunk and um, yeah so we moved to Florida and I was about 11 years old when we moved to Florida and um, you know, drinking was a big thing, even for me, a very young age, 15, 16 years old. You know, my dad would come down to Florida to spend the summers with us if my mom had to go. My mom was, uh, just a little backstory, my mom was a manager of the Olive Garden when there was only three of them. There was, you know, she was oh, at the wow. very beginning of the whole process, the Olive Garden. And so she, um, she traveled a lot and she was never home. Um, she worked 20 hours a day. She was a very, very hard worker. And so my dad would come and spend some time with us when she was away. And, you know, it was a big party scene. My dad was the cool dad, you know, he'd get a case of beer for the whole neighborhood and, you know, and we would just party and, and it just sort of, you know, snowballed. Um, and then, you know, I got involved in a very abusive relationship when I was 16 years old um, with an older boy in the neighborhood, and it turned very dark very quickly. And, um, you know, it was very abusive, and um, there was a lot of stalking and, and things like that, and it was it was very traumatic for me. And, you know, I started therapy, um, I, you know, stuff like that to try to, to get through that, and I just... I just couldn't manage anymore. And finally, by the time I was 21, um, I had, I was working at a hospital, I was a switchboard operator, like the dream job for an introvert. You know, you just sit in the room and you just, <laughs> it was the best job. I loved it. Um, but you know, my boyfriend was stalking me or, or my ex-boyfriend at that point. But, uh, so I decided to move to New Jersey at 21. My dad was, um, very sick. And I said, you know what, uh, it's just the perfect time. I'm going to move back to New Jersey. I'm going to get away from this horrible relationship. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, you know, change the trajectory of my life and, and not go down a bad road. And, 
Um, yeah, so I went to New Jersey, and five months later, my dad died. Um, and actually, today, <laughs> and about this hour, is when he died. Uh, oh, 25 wow. years, 25 years ago. Um, and it sort of shook me. You know, I was like, I just... I, and he drank himself to death. He was at the point in his drinking where he was drinking, you know, like a handled bottle of vodka every two days. We would water it down and try to, um, you know, mitigate the the damage, I guess you could say. But it just made him drink more, honestly. Hmm. Um, and his heart just gave out. And he was 46 years old and I was 21 and I was devastated. It just floored me. And... I lost, you know, my father and I were very, very close. Uh, you know, I was a very sick baby. Um, I had a surgery at two years old. I, ha- you know, I was always sick. Everybody called me sicky Nikki. Nobody wanted to hold me. I was just Aww. a very sick child. So we were very, very close. I think that, you know, kindred spirits, not only was he my father, but he, he definitely, um, you know, took special care with me, I think, because I was such a sick baby that you know, he was just afraid of losing me, which could have been part of his own trauma. I mean, he had his own stories and, yeah. uh, you know, Vietnam, and he was a very compassionate soul. He was a writer. He was very much like me mm-hmm. and, you know, very artistic. He wanted to be an architect, but he he was a mechanic um, for a very large power company, but he, but still not the dream he wanted, you know. Um, he was very empathic, and I think that it just destroyed him, that, that mm-hmm. kind of situation and he just literally drank himself to death you know and I sort of thought that that at 21 uh, you know I was in New Jersey I was partying I was going to Hoboken and you know taking the path train into New York City and just drinking my 20s away Um, it didn't help me I thought you know for some reason I guess I thought that it would shake me out of my own story (laughs) but it didn't it just sort of you know, made it worse, I guess, you know, there was a lot of sadness and loss there, you know, and then I, I met my first husband in a bar, not a shock, um, within, within four <laughs> that's months. At, that's was, where I'm at mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I was drunk the whole relationship that lasted about four months before I was pregnant and married. Uh, he came from a very strict Catholic family. So, you know, getting married was the only option and so we did we eloped to Vermont and I was you know pregnant already at that point and nauseous and morning sickness and just sick all day and he he left me in the the room to go get drunk at a bar and that was you know like kind of the beginning of how the relationship sort of went it was just he continued drinking I couldn't drink because I was obviously pregnant and then you know breastfeeding later at that point and the party didn't stop with him but for me I had to hold it all together and be now be the the one that was sober I guess you could say um so that sort of evolved and that his drinking just kept getting worse you know we we moved to Florida then we went back to New Jersey um we you know but the drinking was always there and I was managing mine you know it sort of kept me um clear-headed in that okay, well, you're the problem drinker, obviously, so I can, I'll be the one that's in charge. I'll be the one that doesn't have the problem, you know, so Mm -hmm. my drinking sort of kind of went on hold and has just escalated. And, you know, and then 9-11 happened. We were very close to, to, 
that part of New Jersey. We were very part, you know, close to that part of New York, and um, it, you know, it was it was a very traumatic experience for for us. My husband was a Marine, you know, an ex-Marine, and so it just lit up things in him, you know, his po- his own post-traumatic stress and things like that. And it was just a perfect storm. His drinking went off the rails. You know, my kids and I would be eating leftovers, and he'd be at a bar, you know. Um, eating prime rib and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month for alcohol he was spending. And I was just, you know, I was just done. I started reading all the books, you know, um, reading about alcoholism and, you know, diagnosing him. He's the one with the problem, you know, all of that. And never really thinking about my dormant drinking problem, you know, that I kind of brought from my teens. You know, I never sort of thought that I was the one with the problem it was it was always him and you know we we decided to split up he he said no you know you're the problem you know I drink because of you Mm. you know he was very abusive very mean to me and the kids and you know um it just wasn't like you know it wasn't physically abusive he was just very 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 verbally abusive and um and had no intentions of quitting drinking. So I packed my kids up and my dog and I moved to Florida. And I how, how old are your kids at this time? Can I ask that? They were, so my daughter was, I think she was in second grade okay. and my son was in, just had finished kindergarten. Okay. And, you know, and, and I, my mother-in-law had offered to pay for therapy for us. And, you know, and I went to Al-Anon meetings and, you know, after a few meetings and I said, no, I don't want to be this woman 20 years from now that is with an alcoholic husband, I don't want to be that woman. I, I, I don't want to be complaining about him 20 years from now. I just can't. Either mm-hmm. he does something about it or I'm done. And I just left. You know, and it was years of, of, of that, you know, it went on. We were married for, um, at that point, I guess, um, I don't know, six or eight years or, or more. Um, married in total for 12, I think. But, yeah, we... We just couldn't come to terms with it. Um, we would, and any time we would be happy, it was because alcohol was at the center of it. Alcohol was always at the center of it. Um, you know, we would drink three, four bottles of wine or, or a whole, you know, 12 pack of beer just sitting on the back porch because I, I couldn't relate to him in any other way. And he couldn't relate to me. Um, I totally get that. I've, yeah. yeah. Well, how old were you when you when you moved back to Florida? I was, um, I think I was probably thirty two. Early thirties, yeah, yeah. Early thirties, yeah. I moved back. It was two thousand and five, is when I moved back to Florida, and I I just said, you know, and he in the state of New Jersey, the thing was is that in the state of New Jersey, uh, if you're gonna separate. You have to do it legally, and you can't just get a divorce. You have to have an 18-month separation, which was ridiculous. And he said, "Well, wow. if you're taking, yeah, if you're taking the kids to Florida, then you can't charge me with anything. Meaning, I couldn't charge him with habitual drinking, drunkenness, or abuse, or anything like that. In order to get divorced, there has to be, has to be a specific reason or an 18-month separation. And, I, and in order for me to get my kids to get away from him." Um, you know, I, I said, well, it's fine. I'll take the 18 month separation. And I went to Florida. My mom was still in Florida. My sister, my brother, everybody was here. My whole support network was here in Florida and I needed them. You know, I couldn't afford to be a single mom in, in New Jersey. I had, 
I had been out of the workforce for nine years. I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I took care of everything. You know, uh, we lived on a very minimal salary, and you know, I was, you know, the Martha Stewart. I was making, you know, the pizza crust from scratch and right. doing everything and every, anything to to be as frugal as possible to mitigate the the you know the hemorrhaging from his wallet on the other end with the alcohol and everything. You know. Um, sacrificing everything for that relationship. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Not one more day. So yeah, my mom was here. Everybody was here to be my support system. And, you know, and I, I got a job with a family friend offered me a job at uh, their insurance agency. I started out working, uh, answering the phones for, you know, I think it was $24,000 a year. And that was enough. You know, it was just enough. Um, We had sold our house in New Jersey. We made quite a bit of profit off of it so you know we sort of split it down the middle here's your half here's my half and have a nice life um it's not that simple obviously but it you know that's basically how it went down and then the insurance agency uh was a a great opportunity for me to get back into workforce um you know answering the phones was perfect you know i had been a switchboard operator i had done you know that sort of stuff before so i was like yeah this will be perfect for me um, did you feel? What I didn't expect. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I so said, did you feel relief at this time? Like it was you. You started this job. Yeah, uh, husband. Like, that know, chapter's closed. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I felt a sort of independence, and I was like, yes, this is going to be great. I'm going to, you know, take care of everything, and, you know, and it was a little bit disheartening because my husband, you know, wasn't going to be involved in, or ex-husband at that, I guess, was not going to be involved in the kid's life, um, but you know, he didn't really want to, he didn't want that life. So, um, yeah, so I had a lot of undertaking. I had a, a big job to do, uh, taking care of my kids and, and myself. And this job was, a, you know, a good start point. And the, <laughs> the culture there though, uh, quickly turned into what would be sort of my downward spiral is that, you know, the thirsty Thursday and the beer cart sort of thing would start going. And, you know, the, the insurance industry has a lot of (laughs) alcohol is a big part of it for some reason. I don't know why, but, you know, and I was a single mom now and, and free and the party started. My mom owned a bar and I would bartend on the weekends to make it extra money. And, you know, I just, went at it. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, this is all these years of being a repressed stay-at-home mom and not having any freedom and not, you know, and I took it. It was, Mm, I just got wrapped up in it really quickly. And it sort of, you know, went downhill pretty quickly. I, I, the blackouts started, um, you know, the ones that I had remembered from high school came back quickly and um, you know, just excess and, and drinking myself. And it was the stress <clears throat> um, that was really, you know, at the part of it, the start of it was just trying to um, alleviate the stress of taking on this big responsibility. And, you know, and depression of, uh, depression has always been a big part of my life and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so that, that went on for quite a while. Um, and Were you the, still going to therapy or any anything like that? No. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have time for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, life money, sort of too. Yeah. yeah. Money was very, very tight. Um, I, you know, 
he was giving me child support for the kids. You know, he was good about paying for that sort of thing. But it, that was it. There was no extra help and everything. You know, I, I did what I could. And, and therapy and taking care of myself just completely got the back seat. You know, it just didn't. Sure. Yeah. Didn't, there was no room for me left. Um, yeah. Especially as a single mom, you know, I'm sure you, I mean, I've been a single mom for a short period of time, but you know, you almost feel guilty about taking any time for yourself um, because it feels like it's taking time away from your kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know for me that, you know, the only thing I felt like was mine was my drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like, um, yeah, I just, I, I think it was just that feeling of, you know, this is my turn. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I want to just do what I want to do. And, and it was, you know, obviously not the right choice, but you know, and I, I got into some bad relationships, um, you know, uh, that the drinking was always a part of. Um, and you know, and at the end of that, I was, you know, that little part of my life, it was about 2010 at this point, you know, I'd worked there for five years. I went from working the front desk, uh, answering the phones to being the account manager for the president of the agency. So I went from a very, you know, like within a few years, I, I went from the very bottom of the, the, the agency all the way to, you know, the top, so to speak. And with that came a lot of responsibility and a lot of parties and a lot of events and, and alcohol just flowed, you know, as, as so many women talk about, uh, in industries, you know, in advertising or marketing or whatever, it's just alcohol is a big part of it. Um, you know, and in my personal life at at that time was, you know, I had ironically my husband now that I'm married to currently, I had met him way back then in 2009, 2010. Um, and he, we got involved, um, and he moved away and I was devastated. I basically had a, a little bit of a meltdown. Um, I started going to see a therapist to try to, to deal with it. I started doing Kundalini. Um, she introduced me to all these woo woo things like EFT and Reiki and, you know, and, and things I had never heard of and, and completely foreign to me. Um, and she sort of helped me, um, with the loss of, you know, my, you know, this, this guy leaving me at this time of my life, I, you know, I kind of clung to him and I needed him and, and, and he moved and I I was, I just lost it. I was devastated. So then, uh, you know, she helped me out of that. And I, and then for a few more years, I went to one bad relationship to another. I got involved with somebody, you know, I left the agency and I went to work for, well, I didn't leave the agency. I got fired from the agency because I just was a broken soul. I, I, I had lost it when my now husband left. And so I, I was just getting a little bit confusing. But so then I went to work for another, another job. And um, I got involved with somebody at that job who happened to be married. And, you know, um, that went on for a couple of years that... It, not necessarily an affair. I mean, they were supposed to be getting a divorce and a lot of, you know, all this stuff. But I, you know, something happened. I, we rented a house together. I moved in with him. And then he left. He decided to go back to his wife. And I had, mm. oh, I, it was three weeks. And I had only, it only lived with him for three weeks. And he decided to go back to his wife. And I just was like, what 
happened? <laughs> you know, what happened? Um, I lost, I was drinking mar- martinis, you know, dirty, spicy martinis. I was going through that, the vodka, like you wouldn't believe at this point, you know, um, like you, Tammy, how you, you know, took pictures of all your martinis. It was kind of like that. My oh, Instagram yeah. feed was filled with, with martinis at this point in my life. And it was just, you know, drinking to, to sort of, um, deal with all of these losses, these men that have just, you know, left me essentially. And, you know, but you know, I didn't take my own responsibility for that, but at that time, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, that, that relationship ended and then I got involved with someone else who was extremely abusive verbally, mentally, sexually, in every possible way. Uh, this is about 2013 at this point. Um, and that relationship is pretty much what brought me to my knees. It was, um, like I said, very, very, very abusive, very mentally, physically, and sexually um, abusive. And uh, I tried to get out of this relationship. Um, and, you know, it was that abusive thing where, you know, don't leave, I hate you, don't leave me kind of thing. Um, and I tried to leave and he um, tried to commit suicide mm. twice. Twice He went through um, to, to try to commit suicide and I, because I wanted to leave and, you know, and I felt trapped. I just felt like completely trapped um, in this relationship I couldn't get out of. There was a lot of things going on, Very a lot of darkness. We had the alcohol, I mean, was the first time I met him we drank three or four bottles of, of wine that night. Um, and then the whole relationship, he would make me a margarita and he would use practically the whole bottle of tequila. And I, he just kept me drunk, basically, the entire relationship for, for when, I would say, almost two years. Um, and would get angry for me not being able to, you know, hold the alcohol and that I was getting too drunk and I couldn't perform so to speak the things that he wanted me to do and 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 be the person he wanted me to be because I was drunk and then he would get Mm. mad at me you know you're not handling it and you know you're ruining everything for me because you're too drunk or you're you know you're throwing up or you know and and yeah I felt like I was being you know I just felt like completely irrelevant in my own life I just felt like I had no agency over my body my mind anything. And, um, you know, during this time, my kid, you know, my kids were, I'm living with my children and it's just a big nightmare. Um, and there was no, you know, I didn't see myself anymore. I didn't feel myself. I wasn't myself. I, I had lost all control over my, my life, my body, my, my thoughts, everything were gone. Mm. And he, um, you know, the suicide attempts. And then, uh, I just, I found myself on, on my knees in my bathroom floor. And, you know, I just said, I, I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. Um, I couldn't go on and I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to live at mm-hmm. all. I, I just felt like, um, yeah, I just couldn't go on. Then that life that I was leaving, li- living, I just, um, 
I'm not really articulating it well, but it was just um, a darkness I couldn't get out of. And I knew that it had to be drastic. And so what I did, I stayed, I was, you know, I stayed up all night. It was October 28th, I think, of 2015. I had finally gotten him out of my life for a little bit of time. I had um, a little bit of a breather. Um, and I had that rock bottom on that night of October 28th. And I stayed up all night drinking. And I, the morning came and I wrote a letter to my bosses at the time. And I said, I cannot go on another day like this. I need some time off to recover from the the suicide attempts and the trauma that that had entailed. Um, you know, I won't go into detail, but it was a very tumultuous, you know, time. And I asked for two weeks uh, leave of absence. I went in, you know, crying with my, my paper in my hand. I sat mm-hmm. down on the desk and I said, I need, I need time. I need to go heal. I can't live like this anymore. Um, and they said, well, um, how's a month sound? And I said, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, I'd mm-hmm. gone in there asking for two weeks. They gave me a, a one month leave of absence. And on that day, I decided um, that alcohol was not going to be a part of that leave of absence, that, that for that 30 days, I was going to, the alcohol was going to, it couldn't be a part of it because I knew if I had 30 days at home by myself, I would have drank the entire time and I probably would have drank myself to death. Um, during that relationship, I was taking, um, you know, any kind of sleeping pills. I would take four or five Benadryl a night to go to sleep or Ambien or, uh, clonazepam or anything I can take to numb out and not feel and to go to sleep. You know, I was being, um, you know, because of the kind of relationship that it was, uh, as abusive as it was, I didn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't rest. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't calm down. I couldn't feel at peace. And so, you know, all that stuff sort of helped me, um, you know, until it, until it came to a point where I just knew if I had 30 days that I would probably have killed myself. Um, so I knew that alcohol could not be a part of it. It's interesting that you know, like you knew that deep down, like you knew that, that you were talking to yourself, which I imagine you were talking to yourself all the time, right? About what your Mm -hmm. life was like. And, um, I'm so sorry. Like this is, it's a lot of pain. Well, that's a, that's a scary place. I mean, that, when you are, you know, at that fork in the road where you know that, you know, in, in deep down in your bones that you, you could just stop breathing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been there, so mm-hmm. I know exactly yeah. that place. I knew I couldn't take my own life. I knew I didn't have it in me to take my own life. No, and I get that. I get mm-hmm. that. But if yeah. you just didn't wake up, that, that mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, like, yeah. I felt that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. I just prayed. I was like, please, if there is a God, just take me. I don't want to live anymore. I can't go on like this. I was working. The job I had was, um, I, it was 
so overwhelming. It was uh, I worked for a third party logistics company, and the, everybody had at least three or four, you know, two phones on their desk, three or four monitors. It was like listening to the trading floor at uh, New York Stock Exchange. It was yelling, and I mean, just the worst possible environment. And I, you know, I worked there for for five years, um, and it, you know, the job had a lot of. Um, stuff attached to it from that relationship with the man that I, you know, that was married. And then, you know, the, the type of work that it was, it was very stressful on top of the, you know, the suicide attempts and the, the punching of the walls and the, and the, you know, the complete chaos at home, at work with my kids, you know, uh, just being drunk all the time, having no control and, over them, over myself, over anything, and just feeling like a completely broken soul. And I think, you know, at that time, I was, you know, in, I was, I think I was uh, 44 at this point, and I just knew that I didn't want to be my dad. I didn't want to die at 46. You know, I didn't want that life. I didn't want yeah. to, or, or, or lack of life. I didn't want to just numb out anymore because I knew there was something in me, you know, deep in me. I had this hole in my chest. It felt like, you know, just this empty cavity in the middle of my chest, like this gaping bloody hole that just, um, from all the abuse that I had endured, um, you know, and just never feeling at peace, never, I think it had gone up for 20 or 30 years of feeling mm -hmm. just this high state of, of anxiety, high state of, of, um, you know, trauma. And I just had to break out. And I think I, what really did it was right before this meltdown, there was a, a young kid at work, he was 21. And I had just gone through these two suicide attempts with my ex-boyfriend. And this 21 year old boy, he shot himself. Mm. Um, and it, it, it floored me. I just, you know, it was, it was like, those two attempts and then this one and then this this poor kid that killed himself it just felt too real it just felt too personal and it was just like oh that's how it would have felt like if, I, I just I don't know it's hard yeah. to explain but it was just too much and you know my bosses were so gracious and they said yep you know here's your 30 days go take care of yourself I used the employee assistance program to get some therapy and they were so amazing um they're supposed to turn off your health insurance, you know, for that time period in case you did anything stupid like bungee jumping or, you know, if you take a leave of absence, they don't want to be liable. Hmm. But they continued my insurance and, um, you know, I went to see a therapist and I was not okay. I, I could not function. I could not function at all. There was barely anything I could do. I hmm. just stayed in bed and I read and I, I had found you guys um, through Laura McCowan via hip sobriety. Um, at that point, the end of, you know, 2015. And that's what I did for 30 days. I just, um, I just, you know, read and I meditated and I tried to go into therapy and, you know, I cried and cried and cried and cried and I just knew I had to heal myself. And did you feel like a little bit of hope? I mean, was there... Oh, yeah, uh, I know? did. I start. Oh, I was not like I... I was depressed, sure, but I did feel hope. Yes, I did absolutely feel like, no, this is a, a, 
I knew I was broken. I knew I was down, you know, to that darkest place. And I knew that there was only one way to go. That the next step would have been death. And since I didn't choose that, the next step then has to go a level up, which is living. And that's what I did. I said, I'm going to do every single thing I can in this 30 days to try to get my life back. Um, And, you know, and so that I could go to the office then and go back to my life and be present in my children's life without being, you know, broken. I mean, my son at one point, I think it was in like 2013 had, you know, I, I couldn't stop crying. I was uncontrollably crying. And my son came in and with tears, I can't even say it, (laughs) stood over my bed and with tears in his face and just like, mom, how can I help you? Oh God. I just didn't know what to tell him. And, you know, I felt like, I felt like I failed them. Hmm. You know, all this time I was like, oh, you have, you know, you're, I never said this to them, but I'm thinking, you know, yeah, your, your father's the alcoholic. My, you know, everybody else is the one that that has the problem. But I sort of felt victimized, um, by the relationships I had been in, you know, um, to such an extent that that just being numb was the only way. Yeah. Um, well, you to, just keep eroding yourself, yeah. right? You're eroding a little bit of yourself and, yeah. until you don't realize you're doing it at first. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's how you're coping mm-hmm. until you're here yeah. at this beautiful invitation, actually, right? Like your mm-hmm. son saying that to you probably really affected you. Yeah. And how, how beautiful that he could say that to you, but how hard, right? But how hard and for them to see me at, at that level, you know, just being completely broken, um, you know, it was heartbreaking because I'm like, no, I, I needed to pull myself out of this to be there for them and to be there, you know, for my daughter and my, my dog and, you know, and things I just knew I, I didn't want to die. And my mom, you know, who my mother has been, my, <laughs> my rock. And I just couldn't do that to her. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was a really tough road. And on my last day, <laughs> here's where the happy ending starts. Um, <laughs> this is the on beginning. my last day. Yeah. Of that 30 day, um, leave of absence I got a text message I I actually it's funny before I even say that uh that morning um I I knew I was like you know I I think it was a uh a Friday or I don't know what day it was um but I knew the next you know the next day um I would have to go to work and I just couldn't I just didn't know if I could do it um and yeah, I think it was actually a Monday and I had to go back to work on December 1st or something. And so I got this text message uh, from a 919 area code, <laughs> which was North Carolina, which was I knew um, where only one person that lived there. And the te- text message said, uh, you know, I'm going to be in Gainesville. Do you want to meet me? And I knew who it was. It's my now husband. Um, but, you know part of me said don't do this don't do this don't do this this is a person that you know you have a lot of history with but uh back in 2010 I sort of had my first meltdown when he moved away 
Um, he was a man that I just was tethered to. You know, I as soon as I met him, I fell in love with him. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was I felt like part of him. And when he left, it just broke me. And so I got that message and uh, he invited me to Gainesville. And I knew I, you know, I knew part of me was like, you know, this is not something you probably should be doing. Drinking was a big part of our story, too. And I, I just felt like, you know what? No, I'm going to go up there and I'm sober. I had been sober for 30 days at this point. And I said, no, I'm going to do this differently. You know, mm. I'm just going to do things differently. And if, and if he doesn't accept me for being sober or whatever, you know, not that I had that fear with him, but... Uh, you know, I just said, you know, no, this is my new life. This is the way I am now. And it was incredible. And it we had long talks and he had just started his own business and he was in a bad relation, you know, and sort of like our two histories um, sort of matched up perfectly. Uh, we have, this is relevant, but not relevant, but we have 10 years between us. He is 10 years younger than I am. And so we were always at like the wrong sort of time. You know, I had young kids. He had just, you know, he was just out of college. Like it was just not the right time to mm -hmm. be together back in 2010. But for some reason, you know, we both were at a place of bottoms. He was at a bottom, a personal bottom. I was clearly at my bottom. And it, you know, evolved into this a beautiful um, friendship and then, obviously our relationship um and so that was uh december and by by april i quit my job i i just said i can't go back to that place anymore there was too much trauma it was too triggering every single time i would get in my car to drive to work i would start crying i would start and i just knew that i couldn't go there anymore and um you know he was very supportive and he says, you know, I need, I need a right hand man anyway. Um, he, he was, like I said, just starting his own business, doing engineering and, you know, he was very busy already and needed a personal assistant. And I said, yes, I will do that. Mm -hmm. I had, I had been working in an accounting department for five years. I had the history of, um, insurance background. I, I, you know, I was literally perfect for the job and I said, absolutely. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the Unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. What did he think about you? I'm sure you shared with him right away, but what did he think about you not drinking or taking that 30 days or the, the road that you were about to go down? Like, what did he think of that? Or as much really as you can share, as much as you can share. Yeah, yeah. He was very, very supportive. I think the, the, the concerning thing at that point was not that I wasn't drinking, was that I was just still so broken. I was yeah. not okay. I was not okay. Um, and he, you know, he at that time was sort of a heavy drinker and it was sort of these two, we were these two opposites. Um, but I sort of balanced him out and he balanced me out. And I think that <clears throat> it just worked. Um, 
you know, he he was, like I said, very, very supportive. But I think he was also in shock at how broken I was because, mm. you know, I would just fall to pieces for whatever reason. And and he's like, are you OK? And I, and I remember just saying, no, I am not OK. I have just gone through the the worst 30 years you have no idea how bad the last 30 years were you know I you know and like I I didn't get into all the details with you guys obviously but it Mm -hmm. you know there was things that were happening that I I didn't want to tell anyone you know I the the abuse that I had just gotten out of he had no idea how to handle that he had no idea how to console me you know um when I quit my job in April of that year of 2016 I had lost my insurance, obviously, um, and I lost my therapist. So he sort of became my therapist, and I was his therapist, and we sort of got ourselves through it. And, you know, he, he had to hear about all the things that I had gone through. And, you know, they were very, very difficult for him to listen to, um, you know, especially the, the abusive parts that were very, very, you know, unsettling for him. And he, he wasn't sure, you know, in the, in the beginning, if he was even going to be able to handle it, we were, Mm -hmm. you know, we would have a lot of discussions about it. And, um, you know, he just didn't know if he could handle that type of thing. And, you know, and I sort of just sort of, um, self, um, there, you know, took care of my, uh, uh, you know, therapy. I don't know how to say it, but I took care of myself. He took care of me. And, um, you know, did you? I'm sorry, Nicole. Did you? So at this, so I'm super curious. So at this time, at this time, so he's a heavy drinker. At that time, you said those words, but I'm sure, I'm yeah, sure that, that you balanced him out. And so that had to have been a concern. But were you doing anything, any other than than being on the internet or checking things out or reading people to think like maybe I need more help, like um, um, to quit drinking, yeah. or did you feel like you had it? Well, I, at that time I did feel like I had it because I was so, I just didn't, it, it, the connection with the alcohol was, and the, and the bottom was so strong and, and, or the bottom as in that last relationship was just, I didn't want to be, um, I, I, I just didn't want to have any part of it because I just knew you that knew it, that alcohol could take you back. Yeah, there. I just knew yeah. that it was like the the elixir that just had brought me to such a dark place that if I drank it, it just would bring me right back. And I knew that I had to stay away from it. So you had no more romantic yeah. associations with mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, and I no think more disillusion. The, yeah, what what really saved me, Tammy, was um, this Naked Mind, the Annie Grace book. Mm, I, okay. I had bought it. Um, at the end of October and that was keeping me um, sort of together like I did have the tools I was using were, were the you know reading all the books reading all the websites re- you know the 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 Holly's hip sobriety was was paramount in my in my sobriety in my own path so were you um, did you take hip sobriety school I did not do the school okay I didn't have the money at that time you know and I had quit my job I'm like you know, but you just read and devoured all her yeah. stuff yep <clears throat> absolutely yeah. and this naked mind for our listeners is by Annie Grace it's a book that that the, some of our other um, interviewees uh, guests have talked about so just so that they know that it's by Annie Grace I devoured it I I did I absolutely and it and it resonated with me and I was like okay if I can just think about alcohol in a different way then I can get through this and you know and that went on for a couple of months we were traveling a lot we had <clears throat> gone to um 
South America and we were, um, you know, in Miami for, I don't know, eight or 10 weeks, I think. Um, and we were just, and it, you know, and it was tempting, of course, but it, 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 I also wanted to be present. I was like, this man that I had been tethered to for since 2008 or nine, you know, I, I just wanted to be present with him. I want, I wanted it to be a different experience and it just sort of, you know, those wants and desires sort of kept me on point, I think, you know, um, until I, I, until it was about, I don't know, you know, that six, seven month sobriety, I think in June of 2016, I sort of started, oh, I'm fine. I could totally handle this, you know, and had a, several relapses and, um, you know, I just knew that, no, this is not something I can continue doing. Um, in January, uh, 2017, we, we ended up going to Africa and, um, we were there for several weeks and then we went to Paris after, and while I was in Africa, um, you know, it was illegal to, there was alcohol was illegal in that country. So there, it, you know, we couldn't get it, but my husband found it. Um, you know, you pay $15 a can for Heineken, they'll give you it. <laughs> you, you know, you can find it somewhere. So, uh, you know, for me, alcohol wasn't a problem then, but by the time we had a stopover in Paris and by the time we got to Paris, I just knew I was going to drink. I, I was having very, very traumatic nightmares all through this time since my very early sobriety. Um, I would, he would, you know, I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night and my husband, uh, he wasn't, we weren't married at the time, but he would, you know, have to console me and calm me down in the middle of the night. And I was having, you know, recurring nightmares and very, very dramatic nightmares and the alcohol just sort of helped numb that away because I, I didn't have any other coping skills for it. I didn't know how, um, how else to do that or how else to cope. Um, and you know, sleeping was always a very big problem for me. So, um, you know, drinking before sleep, you know, we know, we know now obviously that that's not a good idea and that it, it's counterintuitive, right. but at the time it was the only, it thing. knocks you out for a few Yeah. Hours, it knocks so, you out. Yeah. yeah. I had to be knocked out because, Sleep was not even respite for me. I didn't have, you know, peace even when I was sleeping because of the nightmares were so intense. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, alcohol sort of came and went and came and went. And, you know, I just, I realized ultimately that it has to go. It just can't be a part of my story anymore. So, so. wait, I'm, I'm, I just want to connect the dots here. So when you were in Paris and you had these nightmares, mm -hmm. did you drink? I did. I was drinking. Then. You you yeah. did drink in Paris. Okay, so you that was that was your that was your medicine. That was You're like medicine. that's all I know yeah. how to do. I, yeah, I didn't have any. You know, I didn't I didn't have any sleeping pills. I didn't have any any other way. And you know, at the time, I thought, oh, it's romantic, and we're in Paris, and it's great. But you know, it really wasn't great because, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, yeah, uh, you know, being in Paris part was great, but the the numbing out part didn't feel great, obviously. And, you know, since that first day in October, 2015, um, you know, I count that as my sobriety date, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because every single day since that day, I have been thinking about my sobriety. So mm -hmm. to me, that's, that's my date because every day since then has been 
about the alcohol in my mind, like um, whether or not I should have it, whether or not I should leave it. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. been a constant decision making process. And I just decided that that just can't I don't want to have that decision anymore I just don't want to make that choice anymore it's just right. not an so option you, so you weren't it's not like you were enjoying it you were no. like oh this is great I'm drinking in Paris you oh, were you know yeah I guess we romanticized it um you know and then you know we kind of the day we were leaving Paris we were at the airport and we were drinking little mini bottles of wine and we missed our plane we had a flight mm. back to Boston, and we missed our plane because we were drunk at the airport, you know. Yeah. And I'm not proud of it, but it's what happened. And um, you know, and it ended up costing us a lot of money and new flights. And um, and after that, I just said, you know what? No, I don't. I, you know, and I and I did have some even relapses after that. But it, you know, every time you do it, you say, you know, it just sticks sticks harder. It sticks longer, and you just. Um, realize that that's not going to be a part of it anymore. Paris is a tough city. Um, It is. (laughs) It's a tough city. And I don't know if you saw through my Instagram, but when I was in Paris, I almost drank as well. Um, it's tough. It's everywhere. It's the culture. It's it's romantic. It, really it looks really. Yeah, and it's in, in the bar. I mean, ugh. even when you're in coffee, you're getting a coffee in the morning, and it's in a bar. Yeah. You, get, you know, they sell. You know, their bars become coffee shops in the morning. So, you know, and it's not against the culture to drink. But you know, I had already had you know at that point over a year of trying. So I knew. I kind of just said, you know what, while we're here, I'm just going to, I'm not going to think about it. And the nightmares were so bad. I had three very recurring nightmares. They were the same nightmare about my ex-husband killing me, Hmm. uh, you know, and it was just too much. I I just said, you know, what, I'm not going to worry about it while we're here. I'm just going to drink and go on as normal. But it was the same shitty normal from, you know, years before. It was not great. It was, it didn't feel romantic it felt gross it felt shameful and it you know and on top of it everybody's you know about 70 pounds lighter than you and and you know on top of it you just have these horrible body image feelings and you just you know you feel like a gross American anyway so I just went with it I'm like I'm just gonna be the gross American in in Paris I don't care I'm curious I'm curious um because I hear these stories so I'm curious to ask you like did your drinking pick up where you had left off like did you like order the martini or did you go back to like i'm just gonna have some oh, God, light white wine <laughs> yeah i actually there was even the wine i, I was gagging on it mm. all of the things i used to drink i never you know so all of those relapses most of them were just um beer um but i did have wine i i knew that i i couldn't go down the the alcohol road mm-hmm. um i did uh that first june uh, you know, the, like the first, very first relapse, I had been sober for six or eight or seven months. And then I was drinking, I think, Bloody Marys and t- vodka. But I knew after that first one that none of that could be a part of my story. I know alcohol is alcohol and it affects you really just the same. But in my mind, it felt better. I'm like, oh, it's just beer and wine. You know? Well, and then also psychologically, you know, once your eyes are open you've you read Annie Grace's book or if you've mm-hmm. been to 12 step or anything it just ruins your drinking experience yeah, it really does it absolutely <laughs> does. ruins it for you yeah. and all the physiological you, yeah. you can't unknow you can't unknow what you already know yeah you literally can't unknow it really it. Ruin, ruins it yeah yeah 
Okay. So how did, how did you go from there then? How did you get back? Did you just say I'm done or like that was Paris or I just, I think, um, you know, I, I just kept coming back to it, you know, like you come back to your mat or, you know, you, you're trying to train a puppy. It just came, kept coming back to Mm. reading the books or, you know, the home group, of course, the secret Facebook groups and all of it just I knew, I felt a, a sense of accountability to, to everyone, even though I wasn't necessarily being open about it. I, I still felt this sense of, no, I'm part of this sober tribe. I want to be that. I want to be a part of it. I, mm-hmm. I knew that, that I would like, end up there anyway or eventually. So I knew I had to keep going in that direction, even if I kept slipping and getting mm-hmm. off the, the track. You know, it's like, yep. you know, like a hiking trail or a bike trail has the deep rut. I knew I had to keep getting back into the into it because if I got off path, it was just, you know, I had to go keep going back and going back and like retraining a puppy, you know. Um, and I, you know, I don't you know, knew what to do. I did. I, did. I, I kind of knew what to do. And I was like, you know, I have all the tools. I have the, the toolbox and I knew I knew I wanted it. I think more importantly, I knew I wanted it. I wanted to be sober more than anything. I wanted to be able to say alcohol is not part of my story. You know, my dad, you know, my grandmothers both were alcoholics. You know, my mom had the mommy dearest, you know, that would, she was five years old and she, you know, had to make her mother a martini and had it be ready at a certain time. And, you know, things like the alcohol was, was the, the, the thing that went, through every single one of the most horrific traumatic experiences of my life, it was there at the center of it, uh, from my dad to my grandmother's to my my own story. You know, um, uh, drinking Mad Dog 2020 and listening to the Sugar Hill Gang, you know, in my teens and just being completely, you know, shit faced and vomiting on myself and, you know, just the shit show. Uh, it just kept escalating you know dealing with a very abusive boyfriend and you know and uh, in my whole life basically my marriage you know everything like that was just alcohol was the elixir it was the thing that made it all go away but it didn't it made it all worse you know um you know we we, I had an Italian-American family and uh, my dad was Irish and German and alcohol you know runs deep in my European blood and I knew um you know I, I know that everybody's sort of addicted. Everybody has the, the potential of being an alcoholic. But for us, it was just like right there, you know, m- mental memory, you know, the epigenetics, like it, mm-hmm. it knows. Yeah, you drink this substance, you know, and I think, you know, my brother and my sister both, you know, maybe struggle with it to some extent, you know, um, you know, in their lives. And, and, you know, it's just something we have to be really careful of. And I knew alcohol just was not going to be in my story. I had to take it out. I didn't want to live that. I didn't want to go through the same, you know, same path as, as everybody else in my life has gone down. Um, Well, and I think such the important message here is that, you know, you, you can stop it. You can be the one to stop it. And even if, it's hard or you keep slipping or relapsing or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's still available to you. You can Mm -hmm. still go back. Like you said, you can Mm -hmm. still keep trying. 
Yeah. And I wanted to do it for my kids and, and I wanted to do, I wanted to do it for everybody else first in the beginning, you know, it was really about doing it for me, but then it sort of evolved and I'm like, no, I want to do this for my kids. I want to, I wanted to show them that you don't need alcohol to have a good time. You don't need alcohol to, to, to do anything actually. And, you know, I, I wanted to stop that, that family history that we had of alcohol being at the center of it because it was such a big deal. You know, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my dad would get so drunk and, you know, he had this amazing 67 Stingray Corvette and he, you know, we, he wrapped us around it. We, you know, he hit a tree and we, you know, well, the kids, well, we were in the car Mm -hmm. and, you know, these alcohol was just the, the poisonous thing that just, ruined everything basically so yeah I just um you know we were living you know my husband and I were living this great life and I'm like uh I don't want to miss it I don't want to miss out on on this beautiful experience you know he's a kind and gentle soul and he um you know he really brought me back to life um and allowed me to just you know, lay in the corner crying or, you know, just not get out of bed. And he, he knew, you know, and he sort of took care of me, you know, letting me quit, not letting me, you know, giving me sort of the support to quit my job and saying, yes, I'll, I'll take you with me. And, you know, I want you to go on the road with me and help me, you know, run my business. And, you know, it was the perfect fit for me. It gave me a chance to, you know, while he was working, I'd be at the hotel by myself and I could, um, read or write or um, cry <laughs> or, you know, call a friend or talk to my mom. And I didn't have the pressure of going to a job. And it was just like this dream experience that I had. You know, the universe sort of just said, okay, we know you can't handle it. Here, we're going to set you up with the best possible situation. And, you know, and I did. I, I, I was so blessed and so grateful, so lucky that I I could heal myself, you know, I'm still healing, obviously, but. That you were given the space. Yeah, that I was given that space to just breathe and that because I knew I couldn't do it if I was working in that job or if I was still being triggered every day by memories of being there and, you know, or the environment that I was in and, you know, and I, I, we had to leave, I had to leave, um, you know, we decided to leave the home I was living in because it was just too traumatic. You know, there was 15 years. I had bought a house by myself when I left my husband, my first husband. I bought a house when I was working at the agency and I took care of everything. And that 15 years living on my own and all of the horrible things that happened in that house, I just couldn't be there anymore. So my husband was gracious enough to buy a house uh, for us to sort of start over. So it just, you know, to take me out of that environment and the memories that were there. Um, so I'm, I'm just so eternally grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that says a lot about your husband. <laughs> yeah, he's a saint. He really is. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's been an, an amazing. So, you know, and getting into the solution part of my story is that I knew that saying no <laughs> was a big thing that I just never this 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 simple word no I just never mastered it <laughs> I don't know mm. when it happened or what thing happened in my life but I just was not able to say no to people um, 
and you know no to people that would treat me horribly or no to doing things I didn't want to do and so I started you know demanding respect for my body for my space for my time for my energy um, <clears throat> you know and I just at the time of uh, the end of this horrible relationship in 2015 Tammy I'll, I went back to school I had dropped out of college after my dad died hmm. because I had to get a full-time job and I you know I sort of had to take care of myself so I dropped out of college I went to college for for graphic design and I was um, you know really really happy with that but I I dropped out to get a full-time job and so in 2015 I said you know I'm going back to college um I thought I wanted to be a nurse for like 12 seconds until I watched the, you know some scary movie and something you know, I think it was the exorcist and I was like yeah no I don't think I want to be a nurse actually <laughs> so you know but it got me back to school mm. and I think that during that 30 days I was <laughs> Um, that I was uh, off from from work. Uh, I was still going to school. I was taking a, uh, I think at that time I was taking a geology course or and a sociology course. But you know I was taking really really hard courses, um, and I was in the middle of it all. I don't know how I did it. You know my very first semester I was still in that terrible terrible relationship and. You know, I took a biology course. I ended up getting an A, the highest grade in the class. The, the teacher even pulled me aside. He's like, I don't know how you did that. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I don't either. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, meaning, you know, I was, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s. Everybody else in the classes are in their, you know. Because it was in you. Yeah. Because it was in you. Long. Yeah. And it woke me. And I just, I just dove into school that 30 days. I was doing my work. And I was just like, no, I'm repairing. I'm going back to when I was 21, back to when the, you know, the break sort of happened. And I'm going I'm just going to start over, and that's what I've been in, been doing ever since. Is just starting over, um, uh, following my curiosity, following my intuition, and and knowing that, you know, I'm going to be okay. I just think I, I knew that if I can get through all of that, I, there's nothing I can't get through. I I really, you know, I feel that now. Mm. Um, it took a while to really feel it, but I. I knew that being that broken and, and crying uncontrollably for even days at a time, not being able to control yourself, if you can get out of that, then you can get out of anything. You know, mm -hmm. and I think at the time I, I was taking a math course um, and, you know, that movie Beautiful Mind with Russell mm -hmm. Crowe who plays John Nash, you know, where he sort of willed himself into out of his paranoid schizophrenia. He, he sort of healed himself. And I'm like, you know, if he can do that, and then mm -hmm. win a Pulitzer Prize, you know, that, or not Pulitzer, a uh, Nobel Peace Prize, then I could do that. You know, I can I can pull myself out of it. If he can do it, I can do it. And sort of that was my inspiration, you know, uh. um, of mental, you know, mind over matter, you know. Um, and a lot of things just didn't matter. <laughs> Right. So, you know, a lot of things I was putting my mind on just did not matter. And I needed to focus on the five or ten things in front of me that mattered. And that's all I did. I just narrowed my focus. I sort of got, you know, took 
the eagle eye view and I sort of went down to a sort of more microscopic level and I said, okay, what are the five things I need to worry about today? And that that's all I did. And mm-hmm. I didn't worry about all the big stuff because it was too much to worry about. It was too big. Um, and, you know, when you get yourself out of a dark hole, you can only just do it literally one step at a time. You can't... I, I couldn't see the end. I could, you know, you, you started, yeah. supposed to begin with the end in mind, but I didn't know what the end looked like. And I, I just knew that the next step, I just had to, to breathe and to do something. Um, you know, I was very, um, uh, yeah, I just, I knew that I wanted to turn that around and, and, and make this big happy ending not only for myself but my kids and my and just my history my lineage and mm-hmm. um, yeah well you're changing so, the you're changing the trajectory you know yeah. by what you're doing and there's a lot of responsibility in that I feel you know I, I sort of got myself on this path and I and now I feel an obligation to continue for myself only. you know yeah. if, if that's it then that's enough um, I do feel an obligation to continue because going backwards is just not an option um, you know I, I, I destroyed my body um, I was you know 40 pounds overweight at the time and I just I, I was in ill health I couldn't you know, I couldn't recognize myself. I look in the mirror. And I, I actually didn't even look in the mirror. I mean, for about, I'd say about a year uh, when it got really bad, I just stopped looking in the mirror mm. because I couldn't, mm. I couldn't recognize myself. And I knew I was so ashamed and so that I had gotten that the, that me not being able to say the word no got me again to this point. And, and I just knew I had to start saying no, I had to start using my voice and, and, you know, saying the secrets and telling the, the terrible things that were happening, um, which I sort of haven't done yet, but I will, I, you know, I'm getting to that point where I'm, I had to distance myself and I got out of the anger and the, the resentment. And, you know, I was very, very angry for that first year um, in sobriety. Um, I was very angry at the people who had treated me so terribly. Then I realized, no, I'm just really angry at myself for not yeah. saying no. You know, I realized that I'm not angry at them because they were just being them. They were either the, the narcissistic, sociopathic, whatever their problem was, wasn't my problem. My problem was I didn't know how to say no. This one simple word, no, you can't treat me like that. No, you can't do this to me. No, I don't like that. No, I just couldn't. I felt no agency. I felt this word always comes up to me, irrelevant. I just felt irrelevant in mm-hmm. my own life. I didn't feel like I, you know, I think my, my first husband, I, we've, before we were even married, I, we were arguing about something. I'm like, you don't see my point. He says, you don't have a point. Mm-hmm. And that cut me hard. Yeah. And, it, and I believed it. You know, you tell, when somebody tells you something over and over again, you, you start to believe it. Oh, for and sure. I, you know, and I had felt irrelevant for many years even before that. And so, you know, and it just kept compiling and, and you know, the stress level was just too much uh, to bear that I just, I lost my, and, I, and it was just easier to not fight it because you know when you're fighting with somebody let's say that's sociopathic you say no and then they're like well it's because you don't love me and you don't you don't take care of me and right, then they play on right. your guilt 
Or that gaslighting is such yes, a real gaslighting. thing. Gaslighting. Oh my you, gosh. Yes. You, yeah. You you believe things that aren't real after yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. Take, yeah. You become. You know. I became the the nurturer and the the person that just had no feelings. You know, like martyr. I got the, you know, I was at the top of the class for martyrdom, you know, that was me. I was president of that class because I just, it was just easier to not fight it and to not say no because the, the, the backlash for saying no was just too intense. It was too much. It was not worth it. You know, either it was abuse or it was verbal abuse or I just kept quiet. It was just easier and the drinking just made that easier because then I could you know it it would get you into a space that you can say okay sure I don't care anymore I'm so drunk it doesn't matter what you do to me it doesn't matter and Mm -hmm. I and then until it did matter you know Mm -hmm. until I just said no it matters and I want my life back I want control over my body I want control over my mind I don't you know I knew I had to just escape to do that um you know so yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, um, since oh, I'm sorry, Sandra, go ahead. And just since no, we ha- since we have you and you're talking about this, I know that this is mm-hmm. what women ask about all the time for me and Sandra. And I know that our show doesn't touch on it a lot because not a lot of women are comfortable talking about it. But I am. So I'm curious um, how like I'm married to a man who still drinks. Mm-hmm. Now, is that how does that work for you? Like, does it how do you are you okay with it or how does, does it trigger you sometimes or oh. does it, I'm um, like, how do you cope? Cause I know women who are listening are probably going like, how does she do it? How does she, how is she staying it's, on the path? It's not easy. Um, I, I cope with it in, because I've shifted my, my mindset, but for a long time it was very difficult. I was very resentful, you, you know, like you get to drink and I don't, and I, don't mm-hmm. I, I hate, you know, my, my husband, he wants to go to every brewery that's, ever been built you know he he we when we travel you know and that's okay and I sort of at this point I just um you know let him do his thing but it is very triggering and it's hard to be in a in a bar obviously it's very hard to be in that environment but like I said I shifted my focus and made it less about the alcohol but for for me I think with him is that we I have, I guess it's just a sense of respect for his own sort of path. And Mm -hmm. I'm just there to like be uh, an example, I guess. And I think it's really helped because I mean, now my husband, he'll drink three beers and he's, you know, he's drunk and he's like, whoa, because he's cut out. So, you know, he's cut down so much um, because of me, because I think it just, he, you know, it, he sees the benefit of it you know when he's hung over on the couch for the entire day you know and I'm bebopping around because I feel great you know right like wow how do you do that you know and he's and he's so proud of me and he's so supportive and he's like wow you're doing great you know and I know he's on his own path or or anyone for that matter Mm -hmm. so I don't try to manage it at all I mean for a while I was you know my first marriage I was micromanaging it I'm like oh he had another beer and you know or counting them or things like that I was I was really focused on it because I wanted it so bad because you know and and I think that that's where when I made the shift finally it was just last year that I sort of meant the mental shift that no I just don't want it it doesn't appeal to me and so you can you know you can obviously have it but I, I it just became something that 
I think like the Annie Grace book, you know, when you reframe what it is and you start thinking of it more in a physiological sense, it's like it's just a poison. It's just a toxic substance, you know, then that sort of helped me. Yeah. But, you know, it's still a very big struggle because, um, you know, he has a lot of guy friends and they, they drink a lot. And it it's very, you know, it's very big in my city that we live in. Uh, you know, there's breweries, you know, I could just ride my bike a few blocks and there's breweries wherever I go. Yeah, I, I think I think mainly I just was like, because it's, it's something I think um, a lot of women are still dealing with that have decided to get sober. And, mm-hmm. and I just I don't necessarily I didn't want to like focus, you know, I didn't want you to have oh, to yeah, tell yeah. too much about him. But I'm just like, thinking, I was just a man brought up in a meeting recently. Um, he says this phrase all the time, which is why I can remember it's pretty simple. But it's that's why these phrases exist so that we can probably burn them on our brain. But he always like, <laughs> there's your business. Wait, there's your business, there's my business, and there's none of my business. <laughs> and so I try to say that, and I think about that in terms of drinking or, um, um, you know, with our partners who still drink. And um, I was chatting with uh, Sasha Karellis, who was a guest on our show, and she said this really beautiful, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but she said this really beautiful thing that just helped me shift some thinking around my own relationship. And she just said, like, we are raising the frequency and the vibration in our homes mm-hmm. by these beautiful things that we're doing. And our men will rise up and they will meet us. Mm-hmm. It may take a while, um, but as long as we keep kind of raising the vibration and doing these beautiful work that we're doing and reclaiming ourselves and being seen and that you are relevant, Nicole, I'm relevant, mm-hmm. that we find the relevancy in our own life and truly I think are rooted in it and believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like what she said is true. Like they will rise up. They will drink less. My husband doesn't drink at dinner anymore. We're not having alcohol at dinner parties. If we have people over like it's changed, it's shifted in three and a half mm-hmm. years and it didn't start out that way, you know? Yeah. So there's this evolution that has to, that's happening with us that also have, has to happen with our men. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, that's why it's a touchy yeah. subject to talk about because that is their story. But I is, yeah. thank you for being right. so transparent. And, and I think, you know, there's something to be said with you, 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 you know, if you're being in a relationship with somebody, if you want to stay in that relationship, you have to be okay with where they are mm-hmm. today. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can hope for a change in your partner, but, um, you can't throw all your cards down on that mm-hmm. because right. it, it, it may not ever happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to be okay with, with where your partner is today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think I just have that, like you, you know, you said or touched on that. I, I do have that, just the respect for him that this is his story and, you know, and it, and it doesn't bother me at all. We, it, it's never an issue between us and it, um, but it's, you know, it's something that's in the, you know, it's, always in the back of your mind but at the same point um you know it is it's his story or or their yeah, story their or path. whatever and and like you said I just raise my frequency and I just do my thing and you know um and that's all I can do is just be responsible for for my own self and it does help because it like you said it's it's contagious you know you know mm-hmm. he he does 
appreciate that part of me and that it does raise the frequency. He said to me once, uh, not too long ago, he says that we have complementary frequencies. Mm. <laughs> that was the sweetest thing. And it's true. You know, I we like kind of balance each other out, you know, um, and and that's the beautiful, you know, experience that we have. Um, and just that respect for each other, meeting them, meeting you where you are. And I always saw him, and I think that's sort of the big part of our story is that I always saw him at exactly the point where he is, and he always saw me for where I was. He never wanted me to be different, never asked me to change anything, and, you know, just love me just as I was, and I love him just as he is. And, and knowing You just that, said that way more yeah. eloquently, than, and that's exactly the point I was making as yeah. well. Yeah, I think there's yeah. just something very beautiful about loving, loving the person yeah. at the point that they're at yeah. and he never yeah. saw my age you know the age difference was he never saw me for different than him like we were always a very loving to each other it was the you know this biggest relationship of my life this this man that I'm married to I I like I said from the moment I met him I felt tethered to him there was something that I knew there was um you know some karmic stuff that we had to work out and you know and lo and behold he came back after all those years um just out of nowhere out of just when i needed him the most and when i when he needed me and i think it was like in the cards that way that um you know he he was going to save my life and i essentially saved his and it yeah. was you know a, a really beautiful thing and you know back to your point tammy i mean I, you know it is really difficult when when your partner drinks and um you know i can't uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I know everybody's going to have their own way of doing it, but I think if you just meet the person for where they are and just love them and yeah. see through the thing that, you know, their actions, but the, but look more at the act door, you know, like look through the person that is, um, you know, look through that because, you know, even for my own dad and the, the stuff that he went through, you know, if you don't see the person as an alcoholic, you know, you, you yeah. see a person that's in pain, that's in a lot of pain or, you know, obviously your husband, you know, he's not to the, the point where he has a problem, obviously, but even the three or four beers a night or whatever it is, uh, you, you know, he's, that's just where they are and you just have to not let it affect you and, and, you know, and play that martyr card where I used to be like, well, um, you know, uh, I can't have it and, you know, be resentful of them or whatever, because then it changes how you view that person, you know, your feeling about the thing or, or feeling about it, it, it does change how you see them. And that's the thing I'm trying to, you know, take out is like, no, 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 that has nothing to do with the person. The person is still, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to well, explain it. I, I think for me to to just how I've kind of reconciled everything, Nicole, is that um, my husband loved me mm -hmm. in my worst. He loved me until I could love myself, mm -hmm. and he didn't abandon me, and he didn't. Maybe he judged me. Maybe he was upset with me. But um, I'm here, and our family is still intact, and that is because he let me take my path and he didn't love my path, you know? Right. Um, but he loved me. 
Yeah. So I try to remember that when I kind of want to put on my judgy pants or when I want to mm-hmm. um, kind of go down that road. Yeah. But exactly. I just appreciate yeah. you talking about this because I know I know a lot of our ladies in our group want to talk about it. And we just, you know, some people it's a little more touchy for. So I appreciate your honesty and your transparency and just trusting yeah. us with your story today. It's just been sure. And and just saying no and like, no, I don't want to go to the bar. No, I don't want to go to the brewery. No, I don't want to do that. You know, I just, I just have to keep practicing that. And that's, that's really just it. No, I don't want to be a part of that. That's great that you want to do it. Go ahead. You know, he runs on, uh, you know, a couple of times a week and they have, uh, you know, beer and stuff after, and you know, it has nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm grateful for the time you know, alone or whatever, you know, I'm like, no, that's, that's your path. That's your, that's your thing. I'm going to do this thing over here and just keep going back to what you're doing. Because for years, I just, I did what everybody else wanted me to do. I didn't do what I wanted. And that's the new story I'm writing is that, nope, 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 not this, the the Elizabeth Gilbert, not this, nope, Mm -hmm. not this. Mm -hmm. And that you just keep going back to that, you know, put yourself back on your own mat and just say, nope, not this. And then you get sucked into the parties and the, 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 all that thing. And you just have to say, nope, not this, because, you know, if it doesn't suit you, then it's ultimately not going to suit the other person anyway, you know, because you're going to be a bitch and you're going to be moody or you're going to be resentful because, you know, so you have to take care of yourself first. You know, I learned the hard way, yeah, the the long way, that no, you have to put the mask on yourself first because somebody else will just rip it off, uh, you know, and and put it on them. You know, you just mm-hmm. have to. It yeah. sounds like you're listening to yourself, Nicole. Yeah, exactly. you know, you're I'm listening to yourself. Listening. Yeah, exactly. And that's my new, you know, mantra is that I'm just gonna me first mm-hmm. and is this good for me? Is this going to ultimately bring me, you know, closer to my destination or farther away? And mm-hmm. I don't want to go farther away because it's not a place I want to go anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've been there. You don't need to go back. I have been there. So. Oh, thank you so well, you much, are Nicole. One resilient mama. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. You are. You know, and I'm, you know, it's challenging. I'm, you know, my kids are back home. I've got two college kids at home, a dog, a house is falling <laughs> apart. There's rats and bats and lots of stuff happening here. But, you know, and it's not always easy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still really fragile. I f- still feel very fragile um, because, you know, I didn't really do the whole therapy route. I, I know I don't go to 12-step meetings. I don't do any of that. But I feel like what I do is is good for myself you know i'm taking yeah. care of my body i'm taking care of what i'm eating i'm i'm thinking about the physiological human being that i want you know and there's a key word there being you're mm-hmm. supposed to just be you're a human being just be you you know just be you yeah. <laughs> like it's is that simple just take care of your body take care of the things you put in your mouth you know, and I look at alcohol now, it's poison to me. It, to me, it's not something I want to consume because it's not in line with what I want out of my body and what, you know, I want to live. I mean, you know, like I said, 25 years ago, my dad died. I mean, mm. that, 25 years from now, I'm 46 now, the same age he was when he died. And I have such a long way to go. And my body is going to be part of that. Yeah, Whether I like right. it or not, it's got to go with me. So poisoning myself is just literally not an option anymore because it, it is 
you know, and I just see it as that. It's just this can't, you know, I mean, there's so much research that is, you know, you can go on 20 different tangents of why alcohol is not good for you. But the ultimate reason is that it's just a toxic substance that your body does not need. Does It doesn't help you in any way. And so I just see it for what it is. And, and it takes and me out of it. It takes the person out of it. Because if I try to control it, I can't do it, you know, so I have to just look at it for what it is. It's just no different from me looking at bacon now. It's just not something I want. It's just mm-hmm. not even, because, you know, it's just, just not in line with my my ethical or moral values or my or my own past of, of wanting to take care of myself. And it's just, you know, so that's how it's easier when we go to the brewery or when you we remember go to that. Bar. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah. It, that's that doesn't even it's not even a thing because I don't want it you know any more than I want a burger (laughs) (laughs) Nicole I have a feeling we could talk to you for many episodes no don't be sorry don't be sorry I'm just gonna I got lost with the time here but I am just gonna point us um, I just I'm really appreciative of you sharing your story Um, but I wanted to get to some toolbox items like some things that you do do that help you on this path with your um, sobriety that maybe you could share with our listeners so, yeah, first and foremost, I would say getting my health and wellness, physical wellness back in order has been paramount. And um, because I was so just so broken and so physically ill and, I, you know, I, I had my gallbladder out, I, you know, things like that during the I just was in a very poor health. So my, you know, first toolbox item toolbox item is something I've been doing lately called um, intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating um, has been a huge part of getting in touch with my physical body. It's really getting me focused on when I'm hungry, how I'm feeling, what I'm, um, you know, it sort of like forces you to to really pay attention to your physical wellness. Um, And so, I read this book when we were down in South America not too long ago, um, The Obesity Code, um, written by Dr. Jason Fung. He's a um, Toronto-based nephrologist, and he wrote this book called The Obesity Code that basically changed um, my whole mindset about food and how you know I struggled with my weight my whole life. And I, I'm still struggling. I'm still getting there, but it's it's taken um, you know the me out of it and my cravings and my um, personal downfalls and it's sort of taken that out and said no it's it's not really your fault this is why you're overweight this is why you're gaining weight this is why you know it has nothing to do with you the person it's this 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 and that and and, and those things are you know keeping your eating uh, you know in a very small window of time let's say 12 hours should be the max amount of time that you should be eating in any one given day you know some of us eat have eaten 20 hours a day you know you have a early breakfast and then you're still snacking at 10 11 at night and so this you know your body just isn't equipped to to process food for that many hours a day and basically um you know narrowing that window it really helps um, and, and this book talks about the intermittent fasting oh yeah it okay. talks about it and it talks you know and it really gets into that so that's a big part of it um cool. and being plant-based and um eating getting you know, those toxic things out of my body, that's really been helpful to me. Um, you know, 
not eating, you know, the processed meats and the things that everybody warns us not to eat. But getting in touch with that has really helped me physically feel better so that it, it sort of motivates me to keep going and feeling healthy and, you know, focusing on my sleep and getting my circadian rhythm back, you know, with all the trauma and the nightmares, um, you know, so physical wellness and, you know, and anybody has their own way of doing it, but that book really helped me, the obesity code and the intermittent fasting. Um, so that was number one. Thank you. Um, Number two, or I'm sorry, unless you had a question. No, 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 go ahead. We're listening. Yeah. I'm taking notes. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Number two, um, the thing I've been doing most recently is I'm, I really need, I'm doing my meditation practice. So meditation is, is basically my number two. Um, I, it's just something I need to I know that I need to do. I my brain just never stops. I obsess about the thoughts and the memories and the past keeps coming up and coming up and you know and I know there's reasons for it and you know we have to work through it but my brain just doesn't shut off and meditation is a way to shut your brain off. Um and this vipassana uh which is the mindful meditation is really what I'm focusing on. Um, I just read this book and you guys have to read this book. It's called Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. He wrote um, a book called The Moral Animal back in the day. He's um, he's a uh, prolific writer, but he, he this book called Why Buddhism is True is about the science and philosophy of meditation and enlightenment. And it goes really deep into the science part of it. Um, and basically what he's saying is that our feelings are in charge of our brains, not the thoughts. It's the feeling behind the thought that really makes the thought come out. So he says, uh, feelings tell us what to think about. And then after all the thinking is done, they tell us what to do. So, and it's kind of, uh, and one of the quotes in the book was, uh, if you don't feed a stray cat, it quits coming to your door. So if you just, you know, kind of like with alcohol, for instance, um, Mm. you know, you, you have to really focus on the craving or the urge and then, and look at it and not, you know, and not fall prey to it. And if you feed that urge or that craving, it's just going to keep coming back like a stray cat. So, you know, really focusing in and looking at your thoughts and going, is this, why am I feeling this angry? Oh, and there's, or there's, envy or there's jealousy and then you know you know there's so many there's such research behind that uh you know Sandra you and I had read read the becoming supernatural and that gets mm-hmm. into that I mean but right. meditation is just paramount and getting honing in and going in um and what helps me with that I also discovered um Jack Cornfield mm-hmm. podcast uh, on Be Here Now network uh this network it's started by Ram Das who I'm also a little bit obsessed with um, uh, but all of these things sort of combined point to meditation and that meditation that's mindfulness meditation in particular and how it's so um, in line with science as well as you know the religious sort of aspect of it um, you know, whether it be Buddhism or Christianity or whatever it is you believe in, that they're they're completely in line with each other. You know, um, 
that meditation does have some pure science behind it and you know and that's what really what I'm focusing on but that book why buddhism is true is is so good it goes into addiction and why why we obsess about things and um and it's really been life changing so everybody needs to it's robert uh, wright w r i w r i g h t um he if you're um he did a podcast recently with Sam Harris on waking up with Sam Harris. Okay. Um, that he talks about this book and it goes really into it, but it's, it's fascinating. And it, you know, and it goes into the quantum mechanics of it and, you know, kind of like the supernatural of becoming supernatural book goes into, you know, studies and, um, research and everything. And it's, and it's great. The why Buddhism is true is kind of, you know, he even says it's kind of a, a bratty title, but it's it's basically saying why Buddhism works. Yeah. Why meditation works and how it works and how it truly affects your brain. And it, I read the book in two days. It was so easy to read. It wasn't science-y. It was like the um, idiot's guide or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of been dumped down. And it's, it's really a good introduction accessible, to meditation. But... Yes, it's very accessible and it's very readable. Um, it's not too sciencey, and I recommend it highly. It's great. Perfect. It's a okay. great tool. Thank you for all those resources. I wrote them all down. That's great. Yeah. And maybe Which even when we, oh, so sorry. Oh, sorry. I said when we do your episode in the Facebook page, when we share that, um, you know, maybe people will chime in, or maybe you can share um, some other stuff about this too. Yeah, we can start a I conversation there. Yeah. yeah exactly. That'd be great. I have a lot of links and conversations. Exactly. Good idea. Um, and then the other, the, the last one, I had, a, you know, I, I know they're sort of vague and they're not exactly, but the last one is I'm going analog. I'm done <laughs> with the ah. digital world. Um, and that, and I'm, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I love social media and I'm going to stay on social media, but for the most part, I mean, you know, I want to just go back to, you know, so when I was, all those years that I was stay-at-home mom and basically my whole life, I was, you know, obsessed with, like, this old house and Martha Stewart and, um, you know, the Yankee workshop. And all I was, I was, took care of my house and did everything and gardening and all of that. And I'm, I want to get back to that. And I want to get back to tending, you know, and I'm bringing, mm-hmm. like, like, the homemaker back. I want to, you know take care of my home and and repair things and and make things for my house and make art and and analog and by what I mean by going analog is like um kind of what you were touching on Sandra Mm -hmm. in your stories you know I want to touch art I want to make art I don't want to look I don't want to be sucked into what other people are doing I want I need to go back and do you know get my hands dirty go play in the dirt and and really do the work and do the the practice and get back into my art you know art was a big part of my life and a big part of my story would it was always the thing that got pushed aside you know my mm-hmm. my first husband would like what the hell are you doing that for you know and why are you working on that and you should be doing this and you should be doing that and what do you think you have time to just play and you know it was just horrible you know you know and I would even be doing commissioned artwork and getting paid for it and he was so like no you should be you can work on that in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep or you know it was just ridiculous but that's what I learned you know I learned that art just is the last thing you have to do like it's not important but to me it's it's really important (laughs) 
and so you know my husband uh just we just rented a office downtown in our little town here so adorable i I wish everybody could come here but uh, we (laughs) just ride our bikes you know down to the office and and he got an office that's big enough to share um you know there's like five different rooms and you know he's told me i can have my my studio there but now, now that everybody's leaving the house, my kids are going back to the college, mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty soon in August, and he's going to be working downtown. I'm like, you know what? I think I might just make this my home base. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, stay at home, stay in my little space up in the, you know, upstairs. And yeah, so I'm going to be working on less input and more output, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I, I, like I love social media. I want to be a part of it, but I need to go back to actual pen and paper I mean what I've been doing lately is honestly just like playing with my markers like kid you know you know I've been collecting markers since my kids you know in elementary school I have a whole Tupperware full of you know not Tupperware but like a big bin of markers and and crayons and toy you know not toys but like toy artwork or you know kids tools yeah yeah. Tools, yeah 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 just stuff and I, you know and I collect vintage textiles and I have a you know I want to get back into making instead of you know so analog in that sense that I'm just going back to making art and getting dirty and making messes and and and, ex- and practicing in public and I want to you know I'm going to be starting my blog soon and um, getting my website up and you know, and, and what I kind of want to focus on is just, you know, more homemaking and more sort of back to basics and back to the things that really matter. And, and, and you know, tending to my own garden, as they say, you know, I like that. Uh, because I can get really wrapped up into what other people are doing and what I should be doing. And I'm not there yet and counting days and wherever, you know, and that whole comparison thing, I I, it paralyzes me. I, I, I totally can. I, I can totally yes, relate to that. It paralyzes me, and I'm like, you know what? I have to just stop looking at it. Thank God they didn't have Pinterest back in the day, because <laughs> I, I, I would have just, I would have never left my computer. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm feeling now. I'm feeling very glued to what other people are creating and doing, and it's paralyzing me. So I'm gonna just, you know, shut down a little mm-hmm. bit, and you know, kind of like we didn't, we didn't, you know, when. Back in the day, you're, you somebody would call your house phone. You didn't talk to them until they called you. It's kind of that <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. I'm going to do that with social media and just back off and like, you know, I can check in every week or twice twice a month or, you know, and sort of just pare it down and say, I don't need to every single day post a story, but nobody's going to forget about me. It's well, just, you know, I just need to go inward and, and really focus on me and, and just not in a selfish way where I'm like not taking care of other things, but to me, you know, tending to your own garden is really, um, you know, kind of the, the thing that I just need to do is just, mm-hmm. and, and then I won't be so revent- resentful essentially of the things that aren't right. Like my backyard. Oh, I, <laughs> you can't complain re- if you're in, yeah. You're returning to yourself is what it sounds like, Nicole. And I, I think totally, that's beautiful. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, yeah. I know that I was a sponge for, you know, a good long time in the beginning of my recovery. And then, you know, eventually I think it's just a a natural progression of things Mm -hmm. that you start to turn inward Mm -hmm. and start to find out what it is you like to do. And, you know, I, I, I love it. That's a that's a beautiful progression. But 
but then speaking of social media, I want, uh, let's tell everybody <laughs> how they can find you um, on Instagram, Nicole. You are, it's at me dot and dot tree, right? Correct. Yes. Me and tree. Me dot and dot tree. Correct. On Instagram. And my website will be, um, is, is up, but it's, you know, it's pretty naked right now. Um, it's me and tree dot com. And me and tree came from the giving tree, the book, the giving tree. And mm-hmm. uh, she would always say me and tree. And it's kind of works out because, uh, my, my husband's, uh, company's, it's Oak City, so it's um, you know there's a tree there, and 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 the tree symbolizes for me, you know, uh, making things re- recycle, right? Recycling things, ups, upcycling things. Um, you know, I make things out of actual garbage. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do my collages with scraps and things. You know, the ephemera stuff that we collect on our trips and. Um, mail and junk mail and I've been making plastic fabric <laughs> fused plastic fabric out of old plastic of you know plastic grocery bags I fuse them oh, together wow. and I basically make fabric fabric out of them That's so cool. and um, you know and it has many uses for you know things around the house and you know that's sort of what I'm working on is just like practicing uh I want to just practice in public and, and that's what everybody's going to get to see, you know, on the website. I'm going to tell my story and there's going to be a lot more stories about, um, you know, going into more detail about things I've done and yeah, so that's what people can expect. (laughs) Well, I know we spent, you know, time today on your backstory, which, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't do that all the time, but I, uh, we felt like today was no, don't, please don't apologize. No, this was the day to do it. And this Mm -hmm. was the story that we wanted you to be able to tell here and that you trusted us with it. So, um, but I know that you are a highly creative person and I know people Mm -hmm. can check that out on your Instagram feed. You're, you participated in the um, gratitude challenge in last November. And there's just lots of beautiful things about you, Nicole. And I'm just so grateful that you were on the show today. I just wanted to say thank you very much. I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Nicole. Can I just say, I just want to read a little, a very short poem. And I think it's really sweet um, because it sort of just, I don't know. You'll see. Um, It was written by an Indian teacher. And he says, go ahead, light your candles and burn your incense and ring your bells and call out to God. But watch out, because God will come, and he will put you on his anvil and fire up his forge and beat you and beat you until he turns brass into pure gold. Mm. And that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm just turning brass into gold, and I'm I'm just keep going and keep going, and, you know, and that's what, you know, that's all we can do is mm. <laughs> just keep going. That's a beautiful way to end it. You are gold, Nicole. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks I for love coming you guys. Out. You guys are my, you're, you're everything to me. Oh, you keep me wow. going. And, and anytime I'm feeling low, I know I can just check in to either our Facebook group or into Instagram. And I know I have a friend in the world, you know, in mm. this community that you guys are building is incredible. And I'm so grateful. So grateful. Yeah, I'm so glad our paths have you crossed. You saved my life. Yeah. Mm. Well, you're Thank saving you. your own girl. You're doing it all. That's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> All right, honey, have a beautiful day. Thanks, you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye, Nicole. Bye. 
The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.